hello and welcome to another episode of Third Impact Anime. You might notice that Austin isn't your host for tonight, and instead yours truly is the one leading the show. That's because we have generously decided that Austin's Christmas gift this year is that he gets to take a little vacation. What a terrible idea, though. He elected me to be the one to lead all of you. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Tokyo Godfathers, Satoshi Kon's 2003 animated Christmas masterpiece. And with us, we have Tobias. Hello. And Bill. How's it going, everybody? You both seem so thrilled to be here. <laughs> Pretty excited. The movie's really good. It is a wonderful movie, but do we have anything we need to talk about before the movie? Well, let's go ahead and get some, uh, you know, basic administrative stuff out of the way. So, how you been doing? How you been doing, Zoli? I'm all right. I mean, I'm at home for Christmas, and that comes with its usual ups and downs. But, you know, I'm excited for the season. I always get really into Christmas. How about you? I've been doing well. Uh, you know, work is work, and, you know, work is work. But uh, we've also got a couple, you know, articles we've been doing for Third Impact of the actual site. Since we're yes. not just a podcast, we are an actual media conglomerate. <laughs> That's yes, putting I... it very, very generously. Yeah. So in the times in the time since, I think the last time we we discussed Super Famicom was the last one. Uh, I did a short review of the manga Golden Kamui, uh, just the first volume of that. I think the third volume is about to come out soon. Uh, Golden Kamui is great. It's awesome. Everyone should go read it. There's an anime adaptation that's coming out next year that you should also watch when it comes out. So I did a little short review here because I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to reading more. So, Bill, what's <laughs> up? Um, nothing much. I've been mostly just writing for our wonderful site, Third Impact Anime, all one word dot wordpress dot com. Um, I have a review of Tokyo Idols, a documentary about idols in Japan, and kind of the trials and tribulations of being an idol. And, ha- and its effect on the greater culture of Japan. It's really good. It's on Netflix. And I've also got a review of Jinro The Last Wolf Brigade up, which is a very somber but very good uh, military drama. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think I watched Jinro about a decade ago, I think, honestly. I, I wasn't really impressed by it at the time, but I think I was a little too young and wasn't really appreciative uh, of it. So I definitely should go back and check that out. It, I would say um, it's a very slow-paced movie, and so you have to have patience for it. But I feel the ending is especially gripping. And you get really invested into uh, the main character, his, uh, his conflicting choices of whether he wants to be a man of the military or wants to be a regular civilian. And that's a uh, that one's directed by Mamoru Oshii, correct? No, he wrote it. Oh, wrote uh, it. Okay. Yeah, it's based off his manga that he's been writing for years at this point. Awesome. Yeah. And Sully, what have you been doing, uh, product production wise? So I've just published an article, thirty-one flavors of anime, which is about. Um, sort of being burnt out and also how we're kind of spoiled for choice now because we just have so much to watch. I think we kind of get overwhelmed and can't really find one thing to settle on. And that was the sort of inspiration in writing that. And it's gotten some good response so far. So I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. with it. Yeah. Um, I have some more articles I'm hoping will be published soon, uh, including one about minimalism, which is kind of ironic. We're coming up on Christmas, which is a huge holiday about, you know, a materialism. And I'm writing about trying to have a, you know, less and being happy with it. So we'll see how that pans <laughs> out. Well, I can't wait to read it. Well, I know you, I've sent snippets to all of you and it, it's gotten uh, some uh, interesting responses. And now Austin is always making fun of me for talking about, like, oh, I'm just trying to be smarter about my my collecting. And he sent a picture of a dragon on a horde saying, collect what you love and tag me in it. And, uh, <laughs> <hate> it. <laughs> no, I mean, it's I a... use that in the article. I use that. It's like, you're not going to get out of the, you're not going to talk to me like that and not have it put on blast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should definitely get out some more, uh, like, think piece stuff. I think so far we've had a lot of reviews, but it's refreshing to kind of see this more, uh, you know, self-reflective type of article in the work as well that 
that you know other fans and other readers can can really sort of see themselves in. I think that's kind of where my interest lies. Is kind of like almost like lifestyle blogging for anime just talking about like what does it mean to to do this hobby because honestly i view my own opinions as being so unworthwhile to most people in written form because you know you can go to to anime news network for any sort of review and there are you know brighter minds than i on that but Mm. i do like to write about you know what it means to be part of the lifestyle quote unquote I'm diminishing awesome. my opinion, and I'm about to give it on a movie. <laughs> I really <laughs> sort of dug my own grave with that. No, no it's, it's fine. Uh, and I guess lastly, since we're talking about the site, uh, of course, Bill mentioned you know thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com. But we also have a fairly active Facebook page that I'm, I'm sure most of you who are listening to the podcast already are aware of, but I, I do want to mention it again. And we're posting, uh, of course, links to the articles that we write as well as we've started doing a really pumping into an OP of the week where we do a little, a little blurb about a uh, opening animation that really speaks to us as fans and sort of, you know, just a little, little media, uh, you know, a little, a little media push, little snippets of media for your day of video. So, uh, yeah. So going into sort of, uh, you know, personal stuff, what have you guys been watching or playing? Um, I just finished the space epic Legend of the Galactic Heroes. God love you, honey. <laughs> yes, I am very happy with myself. It it took me a while, I think two years, because I took breaks in between episodes that would last a month or two. And <laughs> the story's a little dry, but the best way I would describe it is it's Game of Thrones politics meets Napoleonic uh, battles in space with a philosophy class of what is better an imperial empire governing us or democracy and it's really interesting how they get into those discussions and kind of the twists and turns of the show it's really good yeah i mean it, it's always been something that i've kind of uh you know been aware of but i haven't really had the fortitude to really sit down and watch it how, how long is the show it's 110 episodes, and each episode is about 24, 25 minutes. And it's been ongoing, like, as, as OVAs, right, since the, like, the 90s? It ran from 1988 to 1997. Okay. But aren't they still doing, like, OVAs or novels or something? No, the um, the... The original series ended a while ago. What's happening now is the novels that are it's based on are being released by Viz's mm. um, fictional imprint. I'm forgetting the name at the moment, um, but they're releasing the books that they're based on. And there's going to be a new Legend of the Galactic Heroes coming out in 2018, where there's going to be a 13 episode series. And then we're going to get two movies. Awesome. I know, I know the, the oh, go ahead, Tony. I know the Takarazuka review had done a stage version at some point. Wow! Oh yeah. Um, my friend Ryan, who got me into the show, um, has basically been telling me like it's you think it's it's really small here. It's a super cult, but in Japan, it's a cultural touchstone where there's been like a a opera like show there's been a cafe based around legend of the galactic heroes um so it's very popular in japan and i wish i could go over there and get one of their uh costumes and figures for that i remember that ryan was the one who introduced me to it and i it was with a few of us we watched one of the movies and i fell asleep like three times yeah i don't i don't blame you the the show is pretty dry and I think a dub would really help that show get American fans to watch it. But with how many cast of characters, uh, I think a Kickstarter or crowdfunding would have to happen. And uh, to, to clarify, this is um, this is not the Ryan that's usually on the on this podcast. It's a it's our other friend. Let's call him Ryan Ryan W or number two Ryan two. Yeah, there can only, there can only be one. There can only be one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're putting out like the, the, the novels here in English. Uh, I know that, that High Dive got the series a little while back. 
about six months or so. Uh, have they released the whole series, or is it coming out in chunks? It's coming out weekly. Okay. Um, I'm not exactly sure where they are in the series at this point. Um, but yeah, it's coming out weekly, and I've heard from friends of mine who are watching it that it's pretty good, lively discussion. So if you want to get on the Legend of the Galactic Heroes train, uh, sign up for High Dive, and uh, go join the forums, and you'll have a grand old time. <laughs> and uh, I guess the only other thing that I've been doing is I've been playing uh, Life is Strange. Which oh, been- yeah, yeah. I saw you guys talking about that. Uh, that's another thing that's kind of been on my list, but after seeing you guys say certain things, it kind of makes me more interested in and playing that sooner rather than later. Yeah, like, um, to kind of tie it to, to our anime, I would say it reminds me very, it reminds me of Steins Gate and somewhat of Madoka Magica. Right. <laughs> um, so if you love a the whole theory of time travel and chaos theory and how does changing time affect the present and the future... I would highly recommend Life is Strange, and the voice acting is um, wonderful with Ashley Birch, who's in uh, Chloe, one of the main characters. She's best known for um, Tiny Tina and the Borderlands games, and she's also from Hey Ash, What You Playing, which was a great YouTube series that she and her brother would do. So as far as the game, is it kind of like a, a, a Telltale game, choose your own adventure sort of deal? Yeah, it's I would that's a perfect way to describe it where basically um you are it's deciding what to do in conversations with uh multiple characters within the school and also there are some like puzzle elements where I have to move this rope to this tractor to get this lock to open. Uh they, so it's a bit of just using your time travel uh, powers to manipulate the puzzle and to get into areas that you could not reach. Are there, uh, are there a lot of like hard choices you have to make? Yes, there are very, I don't want to say um, a lot of them cause spoilers, but some of them are very heart wrenching where it just like, I was, I was struggling of like, Oh, this is making my heart hurt so much. I mean, I've only played some of the original, like the first episode of the Walking Dead game they put out uh, several years back now. Yeah, it was really tough to have to make some choices there at, at the spur of the moment. Yeah, but if you're interested in Life is Strange, um, you can get the first episode for free on pretty much any every system at this point. Okay. And I usually see it on sale for $5 for the complete Uh, all the episodes and currently a prequel has come out before the storm, which uh, I haven't played yet, but I'm excited to get on it since I've gotten into life is strange and a sequel is coming down the, down the pipeline. Awesome. So uh, Sully, what what have you been watching and playing lately? So I have caught up with the second season of Osamatsu-san, finally. Uh, I just basically marathoned it today, actually. Um, And I've really not watched anything major other than, like, something here or there lately because I'm busy at home. Uh, Christmas is not, like, a a, a casual thing here. It's something that is like a month-long celebration so i've been like decorating a house for the last three weeks right um but on top of that i uh i had taken a break from the second season of time book in 24 because i was kind of not feeling the new format they were doing but i decided today to catch up and watch a few of those episodes and i'm, I'm gonna keep it there um my my favorite obscure show that i frequently mention that no one likes but um it's it's kind of weird because the first season was this is so close to what makes time broken good but just not quite there and then the the second season's like you got the things that would have taken you there and then you got rid of everything else (laughs) so it's it's in a weird place but i think it's kind of picking up its humor and it's and picking up steam um i've also added 
three new older shows to my to watch list uh yu yu Hakusho, ron the one half and the latest slam dunk because mm-hmm. i saw i follow uh, a blog that posts like interesting backgrounds and art from older anime and it did one from slam dunk and i'm like it's a sports anime and I like a lot of modern sports anime, so I'll give it a shot. And I just have to remind myself, this is before, this is a pre-free era, before all of the, like, male fan service. So I'm prepared <laughs> to drop it if I get bored, but I've heard it's more of a comedy than, like, uh, an actual sports, like, yeah, guys are going to beat the team. It's more of, like, a slice-of-life comedy that just goes around the Japanese basketball boys team, so... I'm, I'm I'm curious to give it a shot. I'm always up to try something new. That's what happened with Legends of the Galactic Heroes, and it put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so going back, you said I mean you you hack a show that that's on Crunchyroll now, right? Uh, I'm not. I know for a fact it's on Funimation. It probably is on Crunchyroll. I know Ranma is on Viz for free. Um, oh, I've just really? discovered oh, Viz is. All of it, like all 137, I think, episodes are on there. Um, okay. At least the sub. I know that there must, there's a few dub. I'm really digging Viz's uh, streaming thing because I like that it's free. And also they have like a lot of interesting older and newer shows. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to try it on that. And also I have been watching uh, the Hiro Yoshihiko, Hiko, which is a parody of like Dragon Quest games and like Zelda games and like mm. any of those sort of like fantasy adventure games. It's a comedy that was done by this uh, sketch group a while back. I think it ended in like 2013. It has like sporadic seasons. So I've been watching that and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's funny and it's interesting to kind of see these tropes made fun of in a comedy and by people who know what they're doing it it really kind of hits a lot of the notes better than i think a lot of like internet comedians do when they try doing things like this why don't we get to our main topic at hand right tokyo godfathers so tokyo godfathers is a 2003 anime feature film about three homeless people jen an alcoholic hannah a former drag performer and Miyuki, a runaway girl, who find a baby in the trash around Christmas and decide to go and find its parents. <laughs> that a good enough summary, you think? Yeah. All right. So I feel like, like before we go into the movie itself and really start to break things down, I feel like we should talk about Satoshi Kon. Uh, it is very much a Kon film. Uh, a little bit different in some of the later stuff, the more cerebral works like uh, Paprika. And even Millennium Actress. I would say it's his. Oh, I'm sorry. I would say it's. I would say it's his most grounded uh, film. Yeah, and I was. Yeah, I would say for sure here. I really liked how this wasn't quite as dramatic as like Paprika, for instance, or even Perfect Blue, uh, but very comedic, and I thought that really worked. Mm. Uh, I I feel like there's the very heavily, uh, very heavy emphasis on the characters in this, very much like Millennium Actress which I still think is probably his best movie in my personal opinion. But I, I feel like there's a lot of good character development in, in, in Tokyo Godfathers here. Uh, the animation style is, 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 is very different than most anime we would think of. It's still in a very con style. The, the character designs very seem very uh, reminiscent of, of his other work. Also, so, com- hmm? yeah. also common things that happening con films like blending um fantasy and reality they're not as omnipresent as they are in tokyo godfathers like there's some moments of it like when uh jin after he's been injured uh he thinks he's seeing an angel and you see the 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 wonderful lights and he's like i'm and he and the angel asks do you want me to use your magic or do you want me to call an ambulance and he says call an call an ambulance and then the whole fantasy sequence dissipates into it's just a it's just a person dressed up like an angel to say you're you're not you're not respecting me here <laughs> i think yeah. that's something that in this movie con does really well is the characters all of them and especially our main characters have these very expressive uh faces very rubbery you know fluid and bouncy animation 
and the characters are they're exaggerated in the right points and then they're they're human in in where they need to be because it's kind of like with the angel you know uh he he's stranded outside of a drag club and it's one of the the performers speaking to him and she sort of drops into the joke at just the right point where it's not um it's not going to kill the mood. It's kind of like with Hannah when she's in the snow and she's saying, you know, go on without me. And they're like, okay. And she says, no, I'm not dead yet. You know, the joke <laughs> doesn't feel dark. It feels like kind of bittersweet. I guess, again, these are homeless people and they are joking about their situation, which is they are taking care of an abandoned child on the streets. And with that kind of comes this dark humor, but it's never to the detriment of this sort of light that's glowing out of the movie. It really does feel like a very positive, affirming, uh, hopeful movie. And the darkness in it is kind of neutered by the humor and the way the characters are animated in such a fluid, warm, organic way. Oh yeah, for sure. I was going to say that uh, this is very comedic in a lot of different ways. You've got a, a lot of just fun jokes and wordplay. A lot of the coincidences that, that pop up are comedic in their timing. And in a lot of Khan's other work, you'll see that these very realistic style uh, of art, uh, especially you know throughout. But this one, like you said, does have a lot of these really almost cartoonish faces that aren't really overdone. They're not chibi. They're not stylized like a lot of anime. But they are just enough to really you know, push forth this positive theme overall. The, the only kind of realistic um, look that you'd see typically in con films that I see throughout the movie is the city itself. Like, the detail that's in the um, billboards and the posters that you see throughout the movie. It's, uh, I find that just amazing. Just the background art, like, it could be almost just a painting. And one of the things with that is that most of the backgrounds, if you look, are kind of muted. They have this sort of blur or frosted effect over them that makes the characters stand out. It's almost like it's feeding into that fantasy unrealness. It's, it's sort of like this is it, – it's a Christmas story. It kind of exists between the planes of reality and the land of miracles. So I like that the backgrounds are still kind of dreamlike and fuzzy, even if they are, you know, very much realistic. Mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely and so with the we, animation i think one of my favorite scenes is uh when hannah is is basically cursing out Jin when he meets up with his daughter the nurse and you see her face it's like her mouth and her eyes take up the like 80 percent of her face and it's exaggerated but not again in a, in a, a traditional anime style right and it, it and just the, the 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 animation on her mouth moving and the big buck teeth in the front and the spit coming out it's just so cartoonish and loud and over the top but it's totally fits that sort of dramatic uh acted out anger that she's doing as we learn later that she purposefully did this to throw a fit to make him look better in front of his daughter and the scene where uh Jin meets the old man and his eyes sort of roll back and it's both creepy and funny at the same time <laughs> that's that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie that whole part it's hilarious yeah it's 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 a wonderful blend of uh humor um dramatic tension and bitter sweetness, especially at the end because of the symbolism uh, with the windmills that are outside his little hut that kind of are a symbol of his, of the old man's life that Jin's helping out. Well, Khan's films are, are full of symbols. I think this one especially is full of a lot of hidden Christmas iconography. If you look the key that belongs to uh, Yoko's parents says 1225 and the taxi driver's uh, uh, license plate is 1225 and there's all these little hidden background pieces that are either they're telling something about the characters or they're telling something about um about christmas you know jen is found by a drag performer as an angel you know that's a very traditional christmas symbol you, you see some of the lights and the, the displays for Christmas early in the movie. They go to a very tiny church and go to sort of a soup kitchen ordeal. And it's all kind of feeding into this idea of miracles because every time one of these symbols shows up, it links to one of these 
coincidences that happen in the movie that kind of tie into this whole like idea of being <laughs> looked over by a benevolent almighty. Mm. One thing I really like about the movie is just the character dynamics. Um, they're pretty much like a family unit where Hannah is the mother, Jin is the father, and uh, Misaki is Yuki. the daughter. Oh, thank you. I mean, she even fantasizes that at, at later on in the movie. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I forgot about that. that and they, like... they all kind of have these ideas of wanting to be part of a family, and then in the end they all become a part of a different family, you know? Jin is reunited with his daughter. Um, Hannah mentions wanting to be a mother and not being able to, and then reunites with her drag mother and finds her family there. And Miyuki is reunited with her father, the policeman, at the end in the hospital when they return the baby. Mm-hmm. And also just the dialogue between them is it's it's very something that you would typically see in a family of just bickering over <laughs> over events and like, no, we should do it like this. No, we should do it like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the dynamics in this movie aren't wholly original. This movie was based off of a 1948 John Wayne movie, of all things. It was based off the film Three Godfathers, which was based on the book. And it's about these cattle rustlers who they are on the run and they come across an abandoned like wagon with a dying woman giving birth. And she dies and says, take care of my baby. And then we have like a sort of plot to this, it, roughly. Mm. So it's it's very interesting that they took this or Khan because he wrote he both wrote and directed this that he took this story of calorie criminals who <clears throat> look after a baby and then make about three homeless people who are very different from the characters they're inspired by and who are so unique and so Japanese <laughs> basically their situation is something that really only kind of grows out of Japanese reactions to homelessness and family. I don't think you could remake this movie in New York and have uh, an American cast and it have the same sort of interactions between each other or their situation. I think what's also interesting is just them as homeless people. People have the stereotype of, oh, homeless people, they, they're they just pitiful and they don't know how to do anything. But in this movie, they're very... They kind of know how to work the system and know uh, how to get things like um, the opening scene where they know, like, if we go to this church service, we'll get some food. Um, and it seems like, yeah, we're homeless, but this is our this is a pretty much a this could almost be seen as a normal, quote unquote, life. Right, right. Yeah, I can see that for sure. And you do have, you know, them acting in that way, you know, in the, uh, not the opening, but very early on in the movie when Hannah says, oh, I found you a Christmas present. And they're digging in the trash before they find the baby. You know, Jin and Muki are speaking to each other in kind of a weird father-daughter way. I don't want to say father-daughter because he does grab her, her breast. And that's not the sort of family you need to be part of. But other than that, the language is very much like, you know a father and a daughter teasing and kind of bickering with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to go back to what you said earlier about, uh, you know, being a very Japanese work. I think that if we were to get maybe like an adaptation and set in, you know, New York or some other met- American metropolis, I feel like the basic plot would, would work, but I don't, I, I agree that I don't think that the same themes of like family would really play over in an American version except if we were to get really cheesy and make it, you know, you know, over the top a little bit, I, I would, I would be interested in seeing, you know, an adaptation done here. There, in America. There's Park. a reason this is one of my favorite Christmas movies. And that's because um, I think when American Christmas specials and movies talk about family, it tends to be like you said, in a very like ham fisted yeah. smack you over the head way. And it's always very goofy. And the, the miracles are always like, Santa will give us presents, or, oh, Dad will be home for Christmas, and there's no real stakes, and no one really learned anything, and it doesn't feel magical, but this is 
these three homeless people who are in a way almost like the three magi are helping this baby exactly. and they are getting mm. there's almost like like i said this almost benevolent godlike force that is helping them along and making these coincidences happen that bring them into this better situation i think it's you know, we talk about Christmas movies being about miracles and the miracles tend to be very shallow or materialistic or outright stupid, you know, but this movie is, I think it's a lot more humanistic in its approach to miracles as sometimes it's just catching a break and feeling like, yeah, someone up there is looking out for me. And I think it works also. Oh, go ahead, Bill. Well, I was just thinking, what do we think of just the use of coincidence in the plot of the movie? Because that is the driving force of the plot is um, usually the characters will come upon a person and then that person will help them further on their quest to find uh, the family of the baby. Like a prime example of that would be when they're walking along and they see the um, the big uh the overweight man stuck uh, underneath his car. Mafia boss. Yeah, the mafia boss. And uh, they they help him out and uh, th- they say, we're actually trying to, are you, do you know of this club? And he says, no, it, I'm going there for my daughter's wedding. So, and that kind of what drives the plot forward of them getting there. And then uh, <laughs> wack- wackiness ensues with the assassination plot. <laughs> that's such a wild scene it's like you're expecting just a a a humble christmas story about the homeless trying to help a baby and then all of a sudden you have you know mafia gunfight yeah it just kind of skips from scene to scene and i feel like that really leads like lends to the the comedy of, of it all i feel like i feel like this work is very shakespearean in nature We've got our characters that are these traditional Shakespearean fools or, or clown characters. They're they're our, our protagonists, of course, but they're they're also just very goofy and uh, you know in the way they act and it's, it's like the, the 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 entire fact that they can progress through the plot is almost serendipitous in a lot of ways. And uh, I think these coincidences, like Sully was mentioning, that there's almost lending to this benevolent divine almost force as you know leading them to to carry this and i feel like that's represented in the movie a lot with this concept of luck so they mentioned hannah specifically mentions a couple of times in the beginning that the baby uh, uh what was it kyoko kyoko uh, yeah kyoko is very lucky to which point of course her uh her compatriots just look at her because a baby can't be lucky if it's left in a you know a trash can but there really is this sense of luck that leads them on their journey to deliver this baby to, uh, you know, to the proverbial Bethlehem. Yeah, like a prime example of that is when they're at the graveyard and uh, they're just looking around and someone, for some reason, leaves a thing of diapers at, <laughs> at, at, a, uh, at a grave marking. It, it, it makes it's no a sign. sense. <laughs> it's a sign. Right. Where Hannah is just like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> uh, I think you're right. Where once um, Kyoko kind of joins, kind of joins the three of them, she brings kind of this serendipitous luck with them as the film progresses. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like the coincidences of the movie are cheap, or you know, oh, no. they're they're done with such a in such a skillful way as to make it like I said, feel like this is happening for a reason, you know? This yeah. is literally a deus ex machina that's good and uh, a, a important part of the plot. And, yeah, it's it's very hard not to see the sort of biblical, you know, connections between these characters. I mean, like Bill said, they're sort of delivering uh, a blessed child to uh, a special place, and it's sort of a rough amalgamation of the the story of the birth of the Christ child. And and it's done again so subtly and so skillfully that it doesn't feel like it's hitting you over the head with it. It it kind of is done very tastefully. Yeah, I agree. I I thought it was, I I really enjoyed seeing the transitions from uh, conflict to conflict. And I felt like we got to see a lot of character development because of that. 
going through the, the, each of the each of our main characters' families and investigating those. Uh, you know, Hannah just stumbling upon the mother and and that original club she was at, and kind of seeing her play through those memories uh, of of great times gone by. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing how each of those transitions uh, progressed these characters. Uh, and it's not exactly serendipitous in that point because she is she looks up at I think it's the Tokyo Tower. And she goes, well, I guess I have, we have no choice. And then they go to the club. So I've always kind of saw that as, I know where I am. I'm near the club. Here we go. Not so much as, oh, I didn't expect you to be here. But um, I, do, I do love that scene when they're reflecting on the past in the club. And uh, she's singing Roku Denashi, which is actually a Japanese translation of a French song written by a Belgian man, um, who is the most highly paid and most successful Belgian musician of all time. And, uh, and it kind of puts this sort of weird time lens on it, because it was popular in the 60s. And even though it, that's probably not when that flashback is taking place, it does kind of have this warm, like, we're going back to a time that's very far removed from where we are now. And her talking about, I, I kind of appreciated that, uh, I don't, think her mother's given a name her drag mother goes oh did ken die of aids and she goes no he, he slipped in the bathroom and she goes well you know death is always a hair's breath away i thought that was you know kind of playing it against the stereotype and it's, it kind of makes it more tragic that idea of one day your partner tragically passes away and in such a senseless like twist of fate and then you can become homeless which is something that happens especially in the LGBT community. Yeah. And I, I think that the you know, nostalgia, we think about nostalgia in geek communities as being uh, very positive, but these memories of, of times gone by can be painful as well. And I see that kind of explored through, through these characters. You mentioned, the, you mentioned Tokyo Tower, and I, wanted, I just kind of thought about it. But I wonder if, since Tokyo Tower is like the central figure that they use to orient themselves, I wonder if that's supposed to be an analog to the star of Bethlehem. I mean, that very Khan was a very intelligent filmmaker. I would not doubt it for a minute that he didn't use Tokyo Tower as something of a star of Bethlehem. Yeah, I'm kind of just looking at it now, and yeah, I mean, you see a couple of times where they use that to to reference themselves to sort of guide them to their their final destination. Kind uh, of another little interesting symbol that we see pop up. <laughs> I, I think this movie is full of symbols and hidden. I, it was just for the first time today that I noticed two things. One, that if you look frequently in their little house thing, that their little encampment that they first start trying to feed, feed Kyoko in, uh, Hannah has a framed picture of her lover and her together. It's the same one that you look at in the club. And then if you look at Gin, you see uh, Gin or Jin. I, I, I never figured it out. I think it's Jin. I feel like that's too on the nose as a joke, though. But you see he has a lot of racing tickets around where he is. And then you see um, a few things of uh, Mukis over in her little corner. Like as we go to different shots of these characters, we see the things that we they cared about or that led them to their homelessness. We see the death of uh, Hannah's partner made her homeless. We see Jen's racing addiction made him homeless we see Yuki running away it's sort of a cruel reminder of why they're here but i think um near the end they kind of get there's almost a sign of like because of their action they're getting some semblance they might get some semblance of redemption where throughout the movie you see um yuki's father where who also uh, meets up with them coinc uh, through coincidence occasionally, and it seems like through the accident that happened, uh, where Yuki uh, stabs him, that he forgives her and that he wants her back in in the family home, and uh, that they meet up at the hospital at the end, where they leave it unanswered, but they are they might talk to each other and figure out kind of where we go from here and can I be welcomed back into the family? Well, some of the best comedic moments are when her and her father are like just close enough and he notices her and she's running away and they're both in like 
these sort of situations where they can't speak to each other like they're on different trains. Yeah. Um, and I think when they meet up in the hospital room, that's the sort of we there's nowhere to run and we're both ready to do this. And I, I, I have a, I have to have a happy headcanon for these characters for this over ten year old movie. It's you know Jin makes up with his daughter and reconnects with her. Miyuki goes to her family. Hannah goes to the drag club and you know moves back in with her drag mother and gets back on her feet. They have to have a happy ending. Like I, I normally don't advocate for going for the most sickly sweet idea of it, but like I, I want these characters to have they've gone through so much for such a pure good deed of helping a, a helpless child. They have to have, there has to be some sort of heavenly reward for that in a Christmas movie. Well, and they, they, I think they earn it and they kind of tease it near the end. I remember the man and the little bag that he gave Jin of like, keep this. It's everyone's fighting for this. Well, at the end it's revealed that it's a large sum of money. Um, deed um they they are they earn it and they will receive a award i want them to receive a award for all the kind of the trials and tribulations of of getting this baby to uh to its family which goes back to what the preacher at the very beginning of the movie is saying you know he very briefly mentions you know there are those who are trying to get their heavenly reward and there are people who have nothing and then you look and you see hannah and jen in this big crowd of what looks to be other homeless and it's it's kind of singling them out as you know you are the ones who will do good and you will be rewarded for helping a child or for doing a good deed hmm. normally i'm not a big fan of like very heavy-handed parables about you know if you do the right thing you will get rewarded because sadly that's not how real life works but I, this is one of those movies I can make a, a special case for. Yes, if you do the right thing, if you if you you know are pure of heart and you try to help those in need, you will receive your just reward for doing the right thing. I and I guess my last story that I would like to talk about that I find really cool is the story is a comedy. It's a drama, but it's also a mystery too because you're trying to figure out who exactly. the mother is. Yeah. Yeah, and they they give you clues as you go on through the movie and they give you a twist ending uh when they think they've given the baby to the right mother. <laughs> it's almost oh, that, that uh, yeah, one more coincidence. Yeah. It's uh oh sorry, this little side comment. I love when they're walking on that bridge. Um <laughs> you see the you see the mother about to jump and and they treated it as like that's nothing. It's just something in the background, and then the characters begin to notice. And then I just love how it's it's not the focus of the shot where you as the audience should pay attention to it. You just have to notice it in the back. And something I notice is kind of brilliant about too is on a rewatch is that Hannah she's saying you know sometimes I think I would just step out of my shoes and jump off a bridge and then she, as she says it like step out of my shoes the woman is doing that <laughs> it's almost like like a like a script and it's and then they walk by and then Yuki's the one I think who turns and they're like no wait don't do it don't jump <laughs> yeah. But what if, when you guys first watched the movie, what did you think of the twist at, uh, when it's revealed that, no, this person that they gave the baby to is not the mother? I remember I first watched this, and this is going to age me, on the Ovation channel. They had like a month of animation every year. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, Ovation, that channel that showed nothing but paid programming, like, for the entirety of daytime TV, and then they had, like, three things on at night, and that was it. That channel didn't last <laughs> long. Um, but I remember watching it, and I I was so emotionally invested in this movie. I was totally, like, sobbing and crying throughout it, and I still get teary-eyed at the end. I think I multiple rewatches every year at Christmas is kind of, you know corroded that but yeah i was so taken by that twist because i'm like this is the because it's not really a coincidence so much as it is like an actual twist and this woman is broken and upset and 
it's it, it feels so devastating and then you're like are they going to is the baby going to be okay is there going to be a happy ending like that was my first idea when I first saw it was is is this is this funny but sad movie ultimately a tragedy and no it's not thank goodness I can you know wipe away my tears and everything's okay right I mean it's been a while since I first saw the movie it's been a couple of years I feel like if you're following like the pacing of the movie you could tell that there was a lot more than that there wasn't there obviously wasn't the actual you know the, the entire climax of everything so it didn't really strike me as being entirely surprising but it did take a dark turn at that point a lot of our uh, you know you know our, a lot of our serendipity at that point kind of turned on its head as we see some actual issues actually start facing our main heroes rather than just them floating through you know all the, the conflicts that had happened previously and to go back to what we were saying earlier i think this is one of those points where yeah we wouldn't be able to see a tokyo godfather's remake set in america because you see a lot of inherently japanese anxiety sort of bleed through here these mm-hmm. these situations where we wouldn't really see not to say not these kind of bad things happen here and in, in the states but the way they handle them and just the way these characters interact and see themselves and we see how uh, the mothers are I mean, the, the whole fake mother's interaction with her husband sort of played out or, you know, and in some ways doesn't play out their dysfunctional relationship at the end of the movie. Uh, and it leads them into that last big section where they make things work with yet another major coincidence. A, a literal gust of wind sweeps them away. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that that scene where, Hannah and the baby are hanging on by, I don't know, I can't tell if it's a, it's a flag or a poster that's hanging off the building. Yeah, something like that. Uh, like a banner. Uh, a banner, yeah. Where it's pretty much just like a, another uh, thing. Maybe it's some mystical force. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's something that's protecting them. Uh, and where she basically falls down with the baby like mary poppins coming down on a broomstick yeah <laughs> and uh i just when i saw that sequence i was at first like oh my god that's amazing and i and it's just it's a beautiful little moment where you think uh they're in danger but through sheer luck and they're able to make it down safely so what exactly about this movie makes it the best like Christmas anime? Because I feel like it's a very common choice, maybe even an easy choice, but it's definitely one that uh, I think is worth talking about. For I sure. So, uh, uh, so I, I, I got all but in here and just kind of go first. Uh, so I, I would honestly go far as to say that this is, may not even be the best Christmas anime, but the best Christmas movie ever made. At least up until this, uh, I really, really like this movie. If we're going to just talk about anime specifically, um, I don't really know of too many other choices. You've got, of course, like the Haruhi movie, Disappearance of Nagara Yuki. Uh, I think there's a couple goofy, like uh, like Itsudate My Santa, and there's things like uh, what was that show uh, with the Butler, the really comedic Butler anime. What's that? Uh, combat Butler. Yes, Hayate yes. oh, the Combat Butler. Hayate yeah. the Combat Butler. Yeah, that had the like the Chris the, the, that you know, you had that picture that everybody shares on on social media with you know Santa. How come I never get gifts? And it's like, well, your family's poor. It's really kind of depressing thing. Well, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, you don't really have a whole lot of selection to choose from. So I feel like like this is by far and away the most uh, the the best Christmas anime. But even as far as movies go, like I got to go back and argue with a lot you said earlier uh, about it being very genuine and not ham-fisted in its themes. It's very positive overall. It's got a very positive outlook on humanity. I feel like even though there's a lot of bad things that happen to these characters, I mean, it starts off, our main cast is, is homeless. They got to deal with the situation of being homeless, which are not easy. But the way the movie portrays it as being, like Bill said, a little more natural, that they found a rhythm into making it work, really turns that around into being, uh, you know, a positive portrayal of, of these people, these human beings. And also, when we talk about the, the themes of, uh, or rather, 
you know, the, the, the idea of this, this fake mother and the anxiety that she's going through and the fact that we have an actual infant that's just been discarded. A lot of these, these ideas that could be very dark and, and twisted in some way. But the fact that the movie sort of plays them into a very positive message and does so not in a ham-fisted sort of after-school special, you know, sort of feeling where everyone's got to be friends and happy and they have to sing along about it and stuff like that. Like a lot of these, these Christmas sort of feel, it's just very genuine. And I've, I also wonder if some of that comes out of because it's a Japanese work, they don't have the same sort of background, the same, like, yeah, they don't have the same... Christmas doesn't have quite maybe the same meaning to them as it does to us. Whereas it's here it's become a romantic like, holiday there. I, I, I would imagine so. Uh, whereas over here it's become this religious holiday that's become very corporatized, very materialistic, and the nowadays this sort of political battleground almost with, with this holidays as a whole. It, in some ways it's become very uh, misshaped from its original intent. And it doesn't help that you have this media that we consume is, like, like you said, big very uh very ham-fisted very cheesy in a lot of ways but because well, they Tobias, don't have i, I yeah. hate to, to to you know break your spirit but everyone knows the greatest christmas movie is 1986's a smoky mountain christmas starting starring dolly parton so you know you're <laughs> wrong and sometimes ham-fisted is good <laughs> i'll have to watch that uh, i wasn't aware dolly it parton was only was ever released on vhs so good luck i'm sure you have the only copy at <laughs> <laughs> least on vhs means it's on your fourth generation tape that you recorded off it's some <laughs> channel back in the day <laughs> not yeah, that like, old yeah and i think you know when we talk we, we there's been a lot of uh talk over the past couple of years about you know this whole meme about die hard being the best christmas movie and this very sort of goofy uh you know take on what it means to be a christmas movie and that kind of thing i feel like tokyo godfather's kind of rises above that and it's not it's not really cheesy i mean you look at the plot itself it could very easily have been very cheesy and goofy goofier than it could have been like you could imagine this movie having a trailer cut to we're walking on sunshine at some (laughs) point as (laughs) as the wind catches them and they literally float up into the air exactly (laughs) but yeah i mean that's i'm pretty much repeating myself at this point but i I really i just really enjoy it it's a really genuine like very personal film very uh, the characters are very human there uh there's a lot of cartoonish you know expressions that we talked about there and that i feel like really work really well uh with the characters uh, all three of our main main characters and stuff and yeah all, all of khan's work is just great great character driven dramas and i feel like even though this is more of a comedy it still works really really well and that's why i would say Togo godfathers is certainly my favorite christmas movie I have to actually agree with that. Like, even though I made that joke, most of the Christmas movies I watch are literally ones I watch because of how over the top they are. And I mean, I do legitimately love Dolly Parton, but that movie is ridiculous. And things like Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny or Santa Claus Conquers the Martians or me and (laughs) one of my best friends, every single year we watch Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer on Christmas Eve right before we go to bed. So like my, my taste is really bad, but I'd have to say that you're right, that it's probably one of the best movies that kind of encapsulates the actual human spiritual idea of Christmas and not, you know, something goofy and candy colored. It's, it's a movie about hope and belief and ultimately the good that people can do for one another, even someone that you think has no hope, like, the three of them being homeless, you know, they're kind of discarded by society and they're the ones who save a baby's life. Um, I, I agree with a lot of your points, you guys, but I think this is a great anime Christmas movie because it takes, as you guys have pointed out, kind of the important themes and meanings of Christmas, whereas other anime works will just kind of take the window dressing and, just say it's a Christmas special. Like the one I think of is the K-On Christmas special where they just take the iconography of Christmas, but there's nothing, uh, there's nothing really to it. There's no substance. As for the greatest Christmas movie ever, 
I, I'm sorry, but It's a Wonderful Life wins that hands down. I can't <laughs> listen to Jimmy Stewart. His voice gets on my nerves. Um, but the story, man, in 1946, that, that talks about suicide. It goes in a dark place that the movie industry couldn't get away with in the 40s. No way. But that's a that's a tangent for another podcast. Uh, I would I would say this movie is great. I highly recommend that everyone see it. You can easily find this DVD for cheap. It's like this and uh, Paprika. I've been able to find at cons and sometime and online for a re- pretty reasonable. It's not like that, you know, exists in the void of, you know, easy to find movies. Yeah, <laughs> I, that and the uh, paranoia agent. Mm-hmm. I I I want that to get a proper U.S. release again. Seriously. Ever since Genion closed. I don't I don't understand what's the rights hold up, but someone needs to rescue Khan's work. Yeah. I th- one one thing that I'm afraid of he's a he's a genuine master. Oh yeah. I'm afraid that modern fans will forget his name because his work is so small uh important and because it's not uh as easy to find on streaming sites like Crunchyroll or Funimation or Netflix. Um, not a lot of people know his name. Yeah. So I, I, I hate Aniplex America's business model, but if anyone should get the rights to that, I think Aniplex of America would roll out the red carpet for his catalog. I mean, hell, I wouldn't even mind like Criterion picking up these because these are definitely Criterion worthy films. Oh, almost definitely. I I think that Khan is a, is a very underrated director and uh, you know taken so young it, it, it's yeah. it's amazing that he put out the work he did in such a short amount of time because oh, you know some directors make okay films and they make great films and then they make bad films in that order and Khan was putting out all of these wonderful movies I mean even at his worst it's still something that tugs at you and try and gets you to think and his influence is seen in Western works like uh, Darren Aronofsky has optioned his work where he basically took um, the structure of Perfect Blue and made that into Black Swan. And yep. Christopher Nolan has been using techniques that Khan used in a lot of his movies. If you watch Inception, uh, you will see a lot of similar shots you would see in a Khan movie in Inception. I don't think it'd be unfair to say that Miyazaki, Khan, and Oshi are sort of the the three pillars of the uh, anime feature film world. Yeah. <clears throat> so since this is a Christmas episode, I thought it'd be a good idea for us to all go around and not only mention our social media, but what we would want for Christmas and what we're looking forward to this year and to wish a happy holiday to our viewers, listeners, whatever they are. <laughs> all right so you want to go go at first then sully uh, why do i have to go first i know that they say wait actually yeah age before beauty you're the oldest one so you have to go first and since i'm the pretty one i go last <laughs> <laughs> well all right uh so going through here uh again i am tobias McNubb. you can find me on uh the interwebs at on twitter that's at reverend underscore tobias uh, on Facebook as my uh, panel page, Reverend Tobias. And uh, insofar as, you know, sort of following up with what we're doing as far as panel content, because we are a media conglomerate, us at Third Impact Anime. Uh, next up is Ichiban Khan in January, the week of the, I think, the 12th through the 14th or the 11th of the 14th. Yeah, it's the 11th since the Thursday, Thursday convention. Uh, I'll be doing a couple panels there. Uh, if you get me up on social media, you'll see I've posted the full details for that. Uh, just two weeks after that, I will be in Birmingham, Alabama for a Comic-Con. Uh, I'll be traveling just 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 myself. No other third impact uh, people going with me. And doing a couple panels there. I'm not entirely sure yet what, but uh, I'm sure I'll get a couple. And that'll be fun. I have to go back home and, and do that having a delayed Christmas myself. 
And then in March, I believe first weekend of March, we have Triad. Second through the fourth. Okay, yeah. So the, the first weekend of March there is a Triad Anime Convention, which is in Greensboro. Uh, I feel like that'll be pretty similar to Ichi. Uh, I've, I've never been to Triad myself, but I've heard good things about it. So I'm sure that we all will be submitting panels for that. Uh, Solo, you're going to be there, right? I am. I've submitted, I think, six panels. Oh, yeah. And Bill, are you on the Triad? Uh, possibly. We'll, we'll uh, see how... Uh, how the how the 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 gods of luck uh, smile upon me. <laughs> you just have to All find, you have to do is find something with twelve twenty five on it. Stick <laughs> uh, to, to your trash can until you find a baby. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. <laughs> but uh, so what do I want for Christmas, man? I don't. I've I've got everything I could possibly want for Christmas. God, you're boring. I just <laughs> thanks, Sully. <laughs> well, what do you want in the more esoteric sense? World peace, a million dollars, Christy Brinkley, I don't know. I mean, true happiness would be great, but yeah, right. Not when you're an anime fan. Uh, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's something nebulous, I would say. Just, you know, good luck for next year. Uh, you know, good luck toward, uh, you know, my career here or during my day job. And good luck doing... You know, panels and convention appearances there. This year, I'm going to have to cut back a little bit on conventions. I went to a lot last year, doing a lot of panels. So uh, having a little more luck thrown my way into uh, dealing with these conventions would be probably the best thing I could possibly wish for. But uh, you know, having a, 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 a solid, happy 2018 would be my wish for Christmas. <laughs> nice. And Bill, since you were in the middle of age and beauty, you were next. Oh, well, thank you. Good, sir. Um, my name is Bill Foreman. I am secretly a hermit, so you won't find me on Twitter or Facebook. But you will find my work on thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com, where I love to write articles. Uh, in the near future, I hope to have pieces on One Piece, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, um, Miyazaki and his relationship with World War II. Um, I hope for that to come in the year of 2018 and to keep expanding my writing and make it better. Um, and as for cons, I'm not doing really any panels, but I will be going to Ichi, so hopefully I will see you all there and just have a grand old time. And as for my Christmas wish, um, I guess my three wishes would be if it was if Christmas was a genie would be um, to get a good paying job in the near future since I just graduated from school. Um, second would be uh, to get enough money to build a media PC where I could just rip all my DVDs and Blu-rays and music and then have my own personal Netflix. I think that's nice. a really cool idea. I want that to happen. And then, because I'm a big comics nerd, I want DC Comics to have a Marvel like subscription where I just pay a flat fee and get access to, to their entire catalog. Get on that, DC. Don't they already have that, though? Do they like Marvel Unlimited or something? Marvel does, but not DC. Oh, no, you're looking for DC. Okay, okay. Yeah, like, I, I've because of Marvel Unlimited, I'm more of a Marvel guy, and the movie's also home. Um, but I want to become more of a DC reader. It's just DC has not made it easy for me. With Don't make the mistakes I have, Bill. <laughs> that, that's why I want a subscription service. That way I'm not just paying for trades all the time. All right. And Sully, since you were definitely the most beautiful of all three of us. <laughs> I know you were just trying to flatter me. <clears throat> so I won't be going to Ichi, but I will be going to Triad. And like I've said, I've submitted about six panels. I'm hoping that I'll be able to do my new Yatsura one. I'll also be hopefully doing my one on the Sailor Moon musicals and my Osamatsu panel for the third time. Um, if you want to reach me, I'm on Twitter mostly at Calvacun, that is C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N. And that's mostly where I just complain about my life and post anime pictures. And, oh, what do I want for Christmas? There's only one thing I've ever really wanted, and that's something that I've wanted for a lot, pretty much the last year. I want a Switch. 
but I think I'm going to be getting one, so I'm pretty content. So other than that, I just want a huge pile of Korean beauty products. That nice. sounds like a Christmas wish we all want. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that on my list. Korean beauty products? Yeah, why not? Yeah. I'm pretty. I mean, I'm I sure always they tell people, you know, I've always had people say, like, how do you keep your face from, like, getting wrinkles and stuff? The answer is snail mucin. <laughs> I rub in Bison snail mucin lotion every day. I also use this, like, this is Japanese, but it's a Biore, like, charcoal face mask, and it hurts like hell. Like, you have to rip it off of your face, but afterwards you have no hair, and your skin is really clear, if not red, for a few days. <laughs> and I I think on that note, uh we'll call it a day. So thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. We here at Third Impact would like to wish all of our listeners a happy Hanukkah, a kick and Kwanzaa, and of course the Patrick Swayzeest of Christmases. See you guys. <laughs>